This episode is brought to you by 9AM Health. 9AM Health, diabetes care that fits your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Healing in Hindsight, your no BS source for thriving with diabetes. My name is Taylor Danielle, and today we have Alicia O'Neill on the pod today. And I'm really excited because there's going to be some really thoughtful conversations surrounding weight loss and diabetes and health in general. And I think that it is really important for us to have this talk simply because there's a lot of different stigmas and a lot of things going on in the wellness space in reference to diabetes. And I think it's a good way to get some perspective on someone who is in pursuit of a PhD and has a extensive background in health and wellness for their perspective, because she also is a coach in helping others lose weight without having to make insane drastic changes to their lifestyle. So I'm excited for us to dive into it. Here's me and Alicia. You're listening to Healing in Hindsight, your no BS source for thriving with diabetes. What's up, guys? I'm Taylor Danielle, and it's my goal to help millennial diabetics like myself live an amazing life without your diagnosis getting in the way. I get it. I was diagnosed back in 2015 with type 2 diabetes, and it was really hard to find people around my age to understand how to travel, socialize, or even have meaningful relationships. But I feel like with a focus on mindset, perspective, and nutrition, together we can take back our health and our lives. Consider this the red table talk, but for diabetics. Minus the entanglement, so. So let's do it. Alicia, how are you doing Hello. today? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm trying to get through the gloomy weather here in Austin. It has been raining, like raining a lot lately. I had to pull one of my plants back from the balcony because I'm like, ooh, get some rainwater. And then I'm like, wait, too much, too much. It's <laughs> been like insane. I, I almost think, I mean, I it's, it's one of my monsteras and I know I need to, to repot it at some point, but it might be sooner than I expected because it's gotten like four days back to back and not just a little bit of rain, like crazy winds, like storm alerts every day kind of thing. And so I'm like, okay, well, I guess April bought, brought more showers than we expected because it's clearly June. Yeah. So <laughs> you know? I that because this week is the first week that it's been like nice and sunny weather in Kansas nice. City. And I think it's so funny because I had the same sentiments that you did. I was like, yeah. I was like, I thought we were only supposed to have rain in April. And then I'm like, oh, but it's also in May. And so yep. I was like, are we going to have a fun, like, sunny summer at all? I was yeah. Like, very uncertain about that. But we've got some sunshine over here. Hopefully it, it comes your way. But yeah, I'm talking like really bad downpours. Yeah. And like day after day after day. So I don't know. A lot of throughout the United States, they've said that there's been really bad flooding in mm-hmm. some urban areas too. Maybe it's just something that's been happening with like global warming. Maybe it's something that's been happening with the shifts in the environment. Yeah. More people are starting to go back out again. Who yeah. knows what's going on or the atmosphere. I know 
know NASA is sending a lot of astronauts out into the atmosphere. So who, it could be a lot of things. But so many we're things. definitely experiencing a lot more rain than what is like the norm. Yeah. And this is my this was my first spring in Kansas City. Before this, I was in Arizona. And so coming from Arizona where it's 95 in the spring, and this is like Arizona summer. Well, now it's like heat like 120 heat but like before like during the march april may early may that's like arizona summer so i was like reminiscing i was like oh i could be in 95 degrees sunshine yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so i guess i shouldn't complain because i know texas we've had our fair share of droughts too where we had to do the the water i mean i'm in an apartment but the whole don't turn your sprinklers on if you don't have to that kind of thing and it's interesting to now it's it hasn't stopped raining and i know we went out two weekends ago and it was like it rained but then the sun came out just long enough to be able to enjoy things and not have to worry about it raining by the time that we left and it had gotten dark the rain started to pick up but we were already on our way home so it's i won't complain because i'm okay with like rain here and there just give me a stretch of some sun mm. and then i'll, I'll I'm, I'm easy to satisfy but Anyways, so I am really excited to have you on the show today. I know we've been trying to to have you on for a minute, but for those who don't know you, I'd love it if you could just introduce yourself, let them know who you're about, where you're from, and what your passions are. Sure, yeah. So I'm Alicia. I'm originally from a small town in Indiana. It's called Anderson. And so I'm a small town girl. I like to joke and say that I'm a Midwestern belle at heart. But at the same time, I went to school in New York at Cornell. I got my bachelor's in science and biology and society. And I have, I focused in nutrition and health and science and technology studies. And then I also have a minor in education. And so spent some time in New York. And then as I had mentioned, I also lived in Arizona for a little while. I went to ASU and got my master's of education with like a focus in health education. And then now I'm here in Kansas City. I am a student at the University of Kansas School of Medicine, and I'm earning my PhD in population health, and I do breast cancer research. I also do some other cancer research too with cervical cancer, lung cancer, ovarian cancer, but my main like heart of the cancer research that I focus on is breast cancer. And in terms of who I am as a person, I am a pretty optimistic person overall. I really enjoy spending time with my family and friends. I'm a social butterfly for sure, but I also enjoy downtime. I like quiet things, like just being able to read and enjoy myself. And I love food. That is one thing that I absolutely love. Love, 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 love food. I love um, cooking it, which fun fact, I back in oh January of 2019, I could not cook at all. Like most people now, they look at my page, they look at things that I'm doing with the posh veg, I'll have them over for dinner. Any way that they come in contact with me and they're like, oh my goodness, your food is so good. Oh, I wish I could cook like this. And I'm like, I'm like back in January of 2019, I was literally burning oven pizzas. So So I have a living, breathing testament to anybody that you, if you love food, which I always have, you can totally, totally learn how to cook things that you like. And it really just has emerged and evolved into this love for food that I have. And of course, because I have knowledge about healthy eating, about health and nutrition, about wellness and so many other things, I really created the Posh Veg originally as this passion project where I was like, it was partially me going to other restaurants and as a vegetarian seeing like what 
sorts of foods they had and all sorts of things like that. Because for a long time, when I initially became a vegetarian, my go-to at restaurants was a salad and French fries. I was like, if they don't have anything else, I was like, they probably have French fries that they fry in different like bats or different oil because of different people's allergies. And I was like, they also probably have a side salad of sorts. And so that's what I did. And so originally when I created the Posh Veg, I was like, I'm just going to go around to restaurants because I love to eat. I love to go to restaurants, whether it's by myself or with other people. And so I was like, I'll just examine what it's like eating at certain restaurants as a vegetarian. And then I started to sprinkle in little nuggets of like health info as I was like preparing my own meals and things. And people started messaging me and they were like, wait, can you do more of the health stuff? Can you tell us more about why blueberries are good for you? Like what's an antioxidant? And I was like, oh, I guess people really want to know about these things. I guess they really have an interest. And so I just Sorry, giving the people what they wanted. And that's really how the Posh Veg, as we know it, has existed today. I have a lot of research experience and clinical experience in hospitals and clinics and just all sorts of health settings. My main areas, as I mentioned, of course, nutrition and health, but also type 2 diabetes, also chronic diseases, just in general. So hypertension, cardiovascular disease, also obesity. And so I have worked really hard to my goal for the posh veg, I've transitioned it over time instead of focusing on one specific area or niche um, or one specific health concern. I really help people, more specifically women, figure out what a healthy eating and lifestyle looks like for them. And so that has been really wonderful, really fantastic, because I think it's just really important to me for to show people that healthy eating and living is lifelong. And so depending on if you have diabetes, depending on if you have hypertension, depending on if you have um, high cholesterol, or if you just are looking to um, lose some weight to feel a little bit better about yourself and what you look at in the mirror, I think that it's really important to understand that all of this is a lifelong journey. So that's me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, doing a lot. I definitely commend you for the PhD strive because I did about two years of college and I was like, yeah, I should have reevaluated what I really wanted to do in life. But you know, the the conditioning of like, you have to go to school. And, and I've learned that I love to learn, but I love to learn in my own way. And so instead I've transitioned that into gaining a bunch of skills in different areas that uh, have made life pretty fun. Congrats. Very, thank you. And that's a very important distinction. Like a lot of times people will hear that I'm working on my third degree and I have different experience in different areas. They're like, wow, I wish I could go to school like you. And I'm like, honestly, it's better to evaluate what's, what works for you, what mm -hmm. is for you and what you really truly are passionate about. Because when you do that, you're able to have the best impact. And that's what is really important is having a really great and large impact. At the end of the day, who cares what degrees or certifications or licensure that you have if you're really not impacting people in a positive way. So I am all about using what you have and learning in informal settings to really absorb as much knowledge as you can. So I love it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that is something that has made things interesting is as I've never been afraid to try things. And I know it used to agitate my parents all the time because I'm like, I want to try this. I'm like, but you're doing this right now. I'm like, okay, can you master this? And my dad was like, I think you just want to be social. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> 
Like I can see that, but actually I really want to try this. So can I try this or no? And now I think they've understood to just kind of let me bounce around and, and, and dip into things and that I'll find my stride and, and kind of hone things in. Cool. So, so wonderful. I think that's- yeah, yeah, they've been really supportive. Like, even as I've gone into to full-time content creation, I was really nervous. Actually, it was like, they're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to be like, this should be what you do on the side. And I told them, they're like, okay. I was like, oh, all right. I think that's a really good point. So I'm 24. I'll be 25 in about a month or so. And I'm really close with my family. And there have been multiple times where I've made decisions in life. And I was so nervous to bring it up to my parents. So nervous. And then when I like tell them or let them know, they're like, oh, that's it. No. And it was funny, like when I had decided for a long time, I was trying to determine whether I wanted to pursue an MD or a PhD because I have a variety of interests and experiences and all sorts of things. And so I just had kind of, I remember this day, like it was yesterday, I was walking around the track at ASU. And I was, I called my mom. I was so nervous all day. I was like, mom, I really don't think that I want to study for my MCAT. I was like, I don't think that I want to pursue my MD, different things like that. And she was like, she literally said, she was like, I don't care what you do. She was like, I know that you're going to be successful no matter what it is. She was Mm -hmm. like, and I know that you do things on a basis of what makes you happy. She was like, and as a parent, that's what I want. And I was like, oh. So I completely understand about how all the time you'll just, you'll think, you'll build up all this drama in your head about Mm -hmm. just decisions and putting things out there in the atmosphere. And then you do it and you're like, oh, wow, (laughs) this actually ended up being exactly how I needed it to be. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, I think sometimes we often forget that our, our family members, the generations before us, they can grow too. But I think because our generation is just so forward thinking and like self-development and really (laughs) just honing things and let's take off, let's do it, that we forget that it might be a little slower for others, but it can still happen. And I, I definitely will say my parents have been huge models of that because also just like I'm I'm 31. So at the same time, they can't treat me the same way that they would have when I was five and I couldn't make a decision to save my life. Parents and just their personal evolution because they've been with us our whole lives. And that's a difficult thing for them to have to come to terms with that the relationships that they have with us will look different. They may have different dynamics, but that doesn't mean that that the same amount of love isn't there. Perhaps even more. I think the funniest thing most recently is that my parents had they and it's a great affirmation but they say we actually like how you all grew up we really who you became as people yeah we really enjoy spending time with you and I feel like that's such a great affirmation to have from your parents because it's not only are they proud of you it's one thing to be proud yeah to actually like your character and who you are as a person and your personality and just them being able to observe how you navigate life I think is it's really beautiful and yeah my parents actually like low key fight over me when I come home. And like, I remember one time me and my dad were, you know, just running an errand. That's something that like we'll do. We'll chit chat in between. Like, oh, come to the store with me. And I'm like, okay, I'll be right back. I'm going to the store with dad. And she's like, oh. I'm like, do, do you want to go? Yeah. It's just up the street. And it's, it's, yeah. it's the cutest thing to see my parents act that way. Totally. But <laughs> my parents, they fight over knowing bits of information first. Like yeah. each other. Oh, have you talked to Alicia today? I know something <laughs> that you don't know. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm like, you guys should not hold these things over each other. It's just, it depends on who I talk to first in the day or who I'm uh, communicating with or who calls me first. So I just think that that's so funny. I'm yeah. the polar opposite. I'd rather they do because then that's less talk 
talking that I have to do. And my dad started making me like, okay, you got to tell your mom this, right? I'm like, what? Y'all just told you, you tell her, you're literally with her every day. So like, just telephone and I'll fill in any context if anything's weird. <laughs> oh, I understand that 1000. Man. So let's dive into some stuff. I, I'm really excited to pick your brain about everything that you've absorbed and even things that you're doing for other people. But one thing that I like to ask all of my guests before we dive into the meat of the conversation is I love misconceptions because I feel like there's so many of them and we have to especially do our part as educators in a way of we're constantly in this space that we get in a bubble and people don't seem to realize that, hey, this actually isn't it. So I would love to learn from you what's one misconception about weight loss and or wellness that you just want to completely debunk. Okay, so I have two. I don't know if that's a bonus thing or what. Yeah, go for it. (laughs) Okay, so the first thing is that weight loss is hard. Weight loss is very easy. If you work with somebody who is knowledgeable about weight loss, if you work with somebody who is knowledgeable about health and nutrition, if you work with somebody who's knowledgeable about working with different types of people, different different body types, weight loss is very easy. And I think that there's a misconception that weight loss is hard because weight loss is a mental challenge. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, there, that that's a big difference that people have to make. It's going to be a mental struggle because I, I usually tell my clients or people that I work with, I'm like, we're working to undo 5, 10, 15 years of unhealthy habits, of unhealthy ways of thinking about food, of unhealthy relationships with what it looks like to have an active lifestyle. I'm like, we're undoing years of trauma in all honesty. And so the process of weight loss itself, like the growth, the journey, that might be mentally challenging, but the physical, biological, mechanisms that occur to make weight loss happen, they're easy. And so a lot of people, because they build up those stories in their mind or because it's difficult to maybe get themselves to start, they tell themselves, oh, it's so hard. I can't do it. It's just not going to happen for me. But if you're working with somebody who's actually knowledgeable in the field, it'll happen very quickly. So yeah. So that's one. And then the other one is, even though it can happen very quickly, I think there's there's a poor culture that exists out there saying, oh, I've been quarantining, so now I got a quarantone. Or, oh, I got to get hot for summer. Or, oh, my wedding's coming up, so let me go ahead and do a bunch of cleanses. Or, oh, I'm going on a girl's trip and vacation, so got to be able to fit into the swimsuit. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is there's this idea that, okay, I lose the weight really quick during this time frame, but you build up nothing to maintain it, nothing to sustain it. You haven't really dug deep at the core of what issues may exist. And Mm -hmm. so when that happens, a lot of times people find themselves in an ever ending cycle. I always use the cycle example of getting hot for summer. Mm -hmm. So people will be like, uh, April, May will hit and they'll be like, oh my gosh, it's getting warmer. I got to start getting in the gym. I got to start getting my body together. Oh, can't can't be doing this. So then they work out, they do whatever sort of exercise they do. They do a cleanse. They try to eat right or well, and then they lose some weight over the summer for the summer to where they feel comfortable and confident. Then as soon as September hits, since that first rain, that wind, it hits below 60, 
everything falls by the wayside. And then Mm -hmm. during September and October, you're like, oh, I probably should be doing a little bit better. But then Halloween comes around and you're like, oh, the candy is just Mm -hmm. so good. I just can't. And then it's Thanksgiving. And then when it's the holidays and you're with the family, you rationalize with yourself. You're like, oh, I'm just spending a lot of family time. It's okay if I have those extra pieces of cake. It's okay if I do this. It's okay if I don't go to the gym. It's snowing outside and all sorts of things like that. And then January hits and you see all the advertisements about new year, new you. And so you go for about two weeks to the gym, about two weeks. People say they usually go to the, they buy these gym memberships, programs, whatever, go for about two weeks to the gym and then they wane off. And then throughout February and March, they're like gaining and then April and May hit again and the cycle starts all over. And so I think that those are two really huge misconceptions that I really work to address with the posh veg. Because again, like I said, my whole mission is to help people realize that a healthy eating lifestyle is exactly that. Like it has to be a lifestyle. It has to be a lifelong journey because how your body composition is at 25 is going to be very different from when you're 35, going to be very different from when you're 47. It's just, and things grow and transition and change. And that's not to say that over time you're, people assume, you know, that, oh, just over time, my metabolism is going to slow down. I'm just going to gain more weight. No, that's not to say those things at all. It's just to say that your body composition will literally be different. And so you have to be committed to really transitioning your body for life. And that's difficult. Yeah, I feel that. So weight loss isn't hard and high girl summer fads shouldn't be fads. It's a lifelong. No, it's a- it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, speaking of weight loss, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that because I know that that's something that you uh, particularly work with your clients in doing and doing and coaching and even more so that it doesn't necessarily have to be with a super huge workout regimen. I think that's something that pops up in a lot of people's minds is, and I'm feeling guilty of it too, of buying guides and and all these things of, I need to go through and do this crazy weight training regimen in order to get to what I need to do. Like I've got to spend for even my endocrinologist, four to five uh, times a week of really vigorous cardio, at least 30 minutes. I'm like, what? Do you know who you're talking to right now? No, I hate Cardi. Stuff like that. So I would love to know the challenges that you face with helping others with their weight and helping them navigate it with their medical care professionals and not feeling, okay, I'm told I need to lose weight. And now it's this like daunting task that's over our heads versus, okay, I can understand why my medical professional is weighing in and saying, hey, might want to keep an eye on this. It's not the end all be all, but you know, here are some things that we can do to overcome that. Because I know for me, that set my head in a tailspin of like, great, someone else telling me that I just need to lose Mm. weight versus, okay, here's what the number says, but here's what it breaks down to. And here are some ways that if cardio is just not your thing, what are some other opportunities that we can seize? So I would love to, to hear your expertise on that. Yes. So many things to unpack here. I think the first thing is in terms of difficulties with working with people towards weight loss, the first thing is getting people to commit to a change and being willing to take those first steps. I always tell people, 
my goal is to help you make decisions, right? Mm. Help you make decisions, help you make better decisions, help you make helpful decisions, help you make a decision about whether this is a good time for you to start. And so I help people make decisions. And so I think that's the first difficulty, getting people to realize, because like I said, we make up a lot of stories for ourselves. We have a lot of self-pity and life is busy, right? Life is busy. Like we always will tell ourselves there's a better time. Our brains will always tell us, girl, you tried to lose weight before and it did not work. What are you? going to do now. You just might as well accept that this is really how things are going for you and don't really try to change anything at all or just try to do something that'll give you the results you want really quickly again Mm -hmm. without like actually addressing the deep down underlying like emotional connections that we have with food and a healthy like lifestyle in terms of working out. So I think that's the first thing, getting people to be willing to make a decision. And I, it is not my job to convince somebody of that. It's not my job to convince somebody that they need to make a change if you're supposed to make a change. And the way that you feel lethargic, the way that you have no energy, you feel tired walking from the car to the grocery store, you, you, you're you snappy. You Whenever you do eat, you feel like the food doesn't fuel you. You just feel like you're just bogged down. You get into that yeah. food coma. You have what people like call food babies, which is basically like a lot of bloating right after eating. When things are off kilter and things aren't necessarily. So I always tell people, it's not my job to convince you. It's your job to recognize and realize what's happening, what's going on, what you're feeling, what you want to be better, what you want to change, why you want them to change. And then being able to take that step to say, okay, I need help. And then knowing that I'm the person that you reach out to for help. So that's really what I do. And so I think that that's one of the main things having people be willing to take those steps. And then on top of that, having people be willing to continuously commit to the journey. Mm -hmm. So my program where I work one-on-one with people, it's, it's eight weeks long. And so the first, the reason why a lot of people do a lot longer programs. And the reason why I do eight weeks is because I'm like, let's just start. Let's just get you to start and see how you feel, how you notice differences. Because the thing is, especially in women, the weight may not be the first thing to change. It may be your inches. It may be how supple your skin is. It may be your energy levels. It may be your mood changing and not being as down and like distressed and frustrated about things all the time. I'm like, let's just work for eight weeks and see how you feel a difference. And of course, there will be some weight changes in there. But then, And usually after that eight weeks, I never have to, it's like they know when the six, seven week mark is coming up and they're like, I'm ready to keep going. I saw things. My husband noticed a difference. My mom is saying that she hasn't seen me this happy in a long time. Like my brother, my boyfriend, they're asking me if I want to go do more things. If I want to be out and be more social, I'm comfortable being more social. I actually like how I look in the mirror. And I think that it's those feelings that I like to address and focus on first because we all, we want those results fast. We're like, oh, I want to lose that weight. And it will come. Like I said before, one of the main things that I work to dispel is weight loss is not difficult when you're working with somebody that has real tangible experience. But I also say that in order to keep the weight off, in order to actually have a real tangible life change, you got to be committing to the journey for the long haul. But that long haul can be, it can be intimidating at first, like you said. And not ever, there's a lot of stigma out there. So as you mentioned, you had 
you've had experiences with other healthcare practitioners where they're like, oh, you got to be doing cardio four or five days a week and you have to be doing like all these things. And that's something that I really noticed when people first receive their diabetes diagnosis, that the practitioners will say, oh, we got to throw everything out. And it's, yeah. I don't really know how realistic that is. And so right. most specifically, even for people that don't work with me one-on-one, I have a program. It's called Pounds About Right or PAR, Getting Your Health on PAR. And getting your weight on par with how you want to feel. And so I have that program and it's $30. And I always tell people, this program gives you every single thing you need to know in order to lose weight with the things that you have in your house. Like literally with the things that you have in your house, exercise is not required, but you can do exercise if you'd like give you like meal plans and activity guidance, if you'd like to have that too. And for the people that go through the program, they are always so stunned. They're like, after a week, it's always after a week. I think it's so funny. Day six, day seven, they message me or they tell me, they're like, I am stunned with how much better I feel. Like, I am shocked. They're like, I thought that, because I think that weight loss doesn't have to be complicated. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there's so many mixed messages. Well, I mean, we're in a digital world now. Like yeah. there's so many mis- mixed messages. There's so much knowledge, so much information out there. And there's a lot of stigma in terms of like people just thinking all sorts of things about what a weight loss journey should look like, what it is like, what it feels like based off of people that they see posting on Instagram about their own weight loss journey and things like that. So they get down on themselves and they're like, oh, I'll never feel how that person feels or, oh, it's for them. They must be doing something that just really can't work for me or I really just don't know how to make this happen. And so it's like getting yourself to really commit to that change, but then also committing to it for a little bit at first, but then continue. If it's just, if all you can do is one day, because a lot of people at first will tell me, I can't even eat healthy for one day. My mornings, they start off healthy. And then by the time I'm eating dinner, I'm like honestly binging in front of the TV. And so they're like, I'm full, but I'm eating two or three extra pieces of pizza, or I'm going asking for that extra large fry from like the fast food restaurant, or I'm going out to a restaurant and having two extra glasses of wine when I really am already tipsy. And they're like, and I don't know how to change that. They're like, I try, I start my day off really healthy. I'll have a yogurt or fruit or something that's a really healthful like breakfast, but then it just goes downhill. And I'm like, that's because of your emotions and the way that you perceive food and the way that you connect with food. And a lot of times, another thing that I um, do is it's yes, as you were mentioning, health wise, the reason why I focus on weight loss in um, my business when it comes to helping people achieve a healthy eating and lifestyle is because, so for people in the health world and the health industry, and this is probably why different practitioners are like, okay, yeah, we got to get you on that <laughs> at working out four to five times a week on excessive cardio, because they know that there's this thing called secondary conditions or being or having the capacity to onset secondary chronic diseases. So for example, being overweight or obese is a chronic disease. But then if you do not address that for a long time, your immune system weakens, your mm-hmm. lung capacity is not as strong as it needs to be, your um, heart has a lot more strain on it, your bones are carrying a lot more weight than what they may need to. And of course, it varies for people's height, for people's weight, for their age, and all sorts of things like that. And 
it's just very important. I think that's why a lot of health practitioners are like, hey, I would suggest you make a change based on these numbers. They look at they look at your fasting blood glucose. They look at your LDL. They look at your HDL. And they're just looking at these levels and they're like, you're in warning zone. They're looking at your triglycerides and they're seeing like, this probably isn't the greatest. And although I always tell people, there are a lot of unhealthy, skinny people. There are a lot mm-hmm. of unhealthy, skinny people, not just Absolutely. mentally, but also physically too. However, Most times, if you are having a lot of conditions, one, for example, is PCOS, polycystic uh, ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. When you are having that, a lot of women experience that. And I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of people don't really share that they're experiencing it, but a lot of women have it. And more oftentimes than not, it's found that when you do um, lose weight, when you regulate what you're eating, your PCOS can be at controllable levels. And that is something, like I said, so a lot of health practitioners and myself included, why I focus on weight loss primarily first is because that's the thing, if we address that, it can help you live a lot longer in life. It can help you, your emotions, your chemical imbalances can then be balanced. There's a lot of things from the health perspective that can be changed and transformed. And like I said, there's a lot of stigma. So sometimes people don't always relay the the information in the nicest way or in the best possible way. But that's the health reason behind why. Because more than I will argue and say more than any other chronic disease, obesity really impacts your, your other, the capability of your body to have an onset or be susceptible to other conditions. So that leads me to my my next question about what your opinion is on drawing the line between the Hayes movement or, or health at every size versus what is considered medically a good weight based off like the BMI chart. Because I know that there's a lot of mixed emotions with that, not only in the diabetic space, but even in the body positivity space of going in to seek help from medical professionals and feeling like you're getting the cultural beat down on top of the medical beat down and a chart that says you're too fat or, or whatever, or that's how we're translating it. So where is the line drawn between, hey, this is you just aiming for your optimal body, not to say that like where you're at right now is bad versus, okay, no, you're really like in a spot where, you know, if if we can't get you to something more manageable, your your life is in danger. So I think it's all about feelings. Like, I think that we create and build a lot of stories in our minds about, for example, I've had a lot of women come to me and they are beautiful women, like beautiful, beautiful women, but they're just a bit larger. And they're like, I exude this confidence. Everybody thinks that I'm so happy on the outside, but I am literally out of breath. Like every time I go and walk to the mailbox and be like, and and I've had women tell me I stand outside for three extra minutes before I come inside the house. So my husband doesn't know that I was out of breath walking to the mailbox. And it's like, When there's that personal shame that comes from knowing that you're not in a place where you feel energized, your body, as you walk throughout most days in life, unless you have some other chronic condition, as you walk throughout most days in life, you should feel energized. When you eat food, you should feel like, wow, that made me feel like I could go for a few more hours. When you drink water, you should feel like, wow, I'm not thirsty. I'm not dehydrated anymore. And so it's like when you are, when your food is no longer fuel and when you feel bogged down in terms of your energy, that's when you know it's time to change. And so I am all about body positivity, but I, I, 1000% I'm all about body positivity. I'm all about beauty comes in different shapes and sizes. It comes in different shades and different heights and different weights. So many different things like that. 
But I think that there's a conflation and a misconception between beauty and health. And you can be very beautiful, very beautiful. I mean, stunning, absolutely stunning, but still not be really healthy. And like I said, there are a lot of skinny, unhealthy people. So thinness doesn't always equate to being healthy. However, I think that there's a vast misconception between I'm beautiful versus like, I'm beautiful, but I also know that I don't feel good inside. And I'm not talking about confidence. I'm not talking about feeling sexy. I'm not talking about radiating just this energy and radiance. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like actually how you feel operating through your day-to-day life. You should not be out of breath going, getting up from your desk and walking to the bathroom. You should not be out of breath playing with your kids and pushing them on the swing set after 15 minutes. Like most people, unless you have some other chronic or health condition, yeah, those just shouldn't be things that you are regularly experiencing in everyday day-to-day life. And so I think that there's that misconception that I'm beautiful and I'm bigger and forgetting that there's a health component to it too. And the way that I say that you know about, because there are many bigger people that are healthy, very, very healthy. Mm -hmm. But the way that they know it is because they exercise, they're routinely walking, they're doing things, their body is getting movement in some way, shape or form. They sing a lot and they aren't really out of breath. They are able to do all sorts of different family activities and just really explore and be with and around people and not feel lethargic. As soon as you are, you feel your energy level starting to peak and fall you, or starting to fall and not be at a peak that something is off. And I think that because there's body positive, everybody wants to feel good in their own skin. Everybody wants to feel like they're seeing themselves represented in popular media. Everybody wants to feel like the models that walk down the runway aren't just... 5'11 and size double zero. Even me being 5'1 and 5'1 and like a size two, like that's still, even if I see a model on the runway, like that's not me. You know what I'm saying? So everybody, I think that the body positivity movement has gained so much traction because everybody wants to feel comfortable in their own skin. Everybody wants to feel beautiful. Everybody wants to um, be and feel like they have a connection to that standard of beauty. And like I said, I think that it's really important to evaluate and assess because just like we come up with drama when it comes to losing weight, we also create stories in our minds about why we don't need to lose weight. Oh, I don't need to fit into my clothes. I'll just buy bigger and different ones. Like, oh, of course I'm not supposed to fit into the same clothes that I was in when I was 23. It's okay. I'm just going to go in shop and find some new clothes. We like doing those things. We engage in those things. And it's like, nothing's wrong with buying new clothes, different clothes. You might not even have the same style that you did when you were in college. However, when you start to notice your energy fall, you're out of breath, you're tired, you're irritable, you're moody, and you know that those things are happening you, it's probably the weight that you need to change. And like you said, like you don't have to work out at first. If you want to maintain your weight, if you don't really want to reduce your eating levels a lot, you probably should have some level of activity. But that's what I tell people about physical activity. Don't force yourself to do something that you hate. So for example, the four to five days of like super excessive cardio, right? Like you don't have to do that to get the same amount of workout. Say if you jumped rope for 25 minutes, or if you did some hot yoga, or if you like, there's so many different ways that you can burn the same amount of calories tone different muscles that don't 
require your, you to force yourself to do things that you hate. And so I think that the key to sticking to the key to sticking to weight loss is really not just weight loss, but the key to sticking to a healthy eating and lifestyle, finding things that you love and enjoy. Don't force yourself to eat quinoa and kale if you hate quinoa and kale. Like you shouldn't be forcing yourself to do any of that. It's find things that are really actually able for you to maintain for the long run. Yeah. So I guess I want to pick at this a little bit more because I I definitely hear you on if if on the inside you're feeling winded or all these things, then it's it's time to check in with yourself and make sure that your system is optimized. I I absolutely believe in optimizing your body to the best. But what I'm curious on your thoughts are is from a BMI standpoint, I'm considered overweight. But from a moving and optimization standpoint, I'm pretty good. Do I have some moments? Am I still winded when I live on the third floor? Sure. But is it like excessive? No. And things like that. So when you see people, um, the first person that came to mind, I cannot remember the, the young lady's name, but there's the, the dancer, the uh, the plus size dancer that I always see on YouTube all the time. And she's murdering people left and right, right yeah. on the dance floor and, and has received a lot of stigmatized flack for just being her size. But at the same time, I'm like, if I were to do that same routine, I probably would have fallen on my face. I'd be, yeah, I'd <laughs> you know what I mean? Hardcore be struggling. But that's yeah. Their skinniness does not mean healthy. And so I think that when you see somebody like her that's really like breaking out the dance moves, clearly her heart is at a good level. Like her, clearly her lungs have a great capacity to be able to keep up with those things. Her joints and her flexibility and her bones are healthy. And so for her, she is healthy. Could she, of course, if she wanted to lose weight? Yes. But is it necessary for her healthiness? It doesn't seem like it. It seems like she's very, very healthy. And so to draw on what you were saying about the BMI, two things. So the BMI was initially created only really using a white Eurocentric like point of view. Now, that is not to say that I believe that it should be invalidated because I don't. I don't believe that it should be pushed to the wayside. I feel, of course, it could be amended to maybe incorporate different types of ethnicities, different groups of people, maybe after a certain amounts of time since it has gone by, reevaluating and looking at what it may look like. However, it's a very real thing that chronic disease exists in communities of color in very bad ways. And so I think that when we say, oh, well, the BMI was created for white people, by white people. And then we say, so I don't need to pay attention to the BMI because I'm just big boned. I hear people say that all the time. And I'm like, okay, I know that your lineage, your ancestry, people may have had like bigger bodies again. Having a bigger body does not mean that you're unhealthy, but if every Sunday you're eating fried chicken and collard greens at Big Mama's and then on Friday you always have a fish fry with spaghetti and then on Mondays you go out and have a barbecue in the summertime, it's like, okay, you're probably not doing what you need to be doing. And I think that it's, yes, 1000%, we do need to acknowledge and be aware that the BMI as a measurement tool was created a long time ago, using white people 
as the metric and the standard. However, there are also similarities that people have just based on um, sex alone. So it is still a useful based on sex and height alone. Now, I will say that BMI, one very common way that it's very, very wrong for a lot of people, it does not factor in muscle composition. Yeah, it doesn't factor in muscle composition. And so what you'll find is you'll have tons of people that are like Fitzbo influencers, people that go to the gym regularly, people that live, people that, and I'm not even, they don't even have to be Fitzbo people. They could just be people that regularly like to be in the gym lifting and they have a higher muscle mass than lots of other people that may be even bigger than them, for example. But they're, the way that their BMI says is that it's skewed. And it's because BMI doesn't factor in. BMI looks at your height, your weight, and your sex and your age. And so that's what it looks at. And outside of that, it's, it doesn't factor in your muscle composition. And that's a huge area, again, like I said, that I think that it could be amended, especially because culture has really changed over time for people to, like, just in terms of the way that we exercise and the way that we move our bodies and weights are a lot more accessible to people now. And so I think that a lot of people really get into that. And so one example is I always see on Instagram, like a lot of girls that are, I mentioned that I'm five one and I'm like a size two. And so I see a lot of like girls that are like five one, size two, but then they'll be 10, 15, 20 pounds heavier than I am. And I'll be like, what in the world? I'm like, she's cut, she's ripped. And you'll see those things. And people, that's why I always tell people, don't look at somebody else is physical composition, how they've posed on Instagram. I'm like, If you suck your tummy in during regular family Christmas photos at grandma's, you know that these Fitspo influencers are really doing everything that they can to contour their bodies before they edit the photos. And so I'm like, don't really use those as don't use somebody else as your health goals, because really it's it's independent per person. Mm -hmm. And like I was saying, yeah, there will be women that might be. 10, 15, 20 pounds heavier than me. And it's because their muscle composition is very different. And so it's, yeah, they're also 5'1", and they may be 144, but their their competi- their composition is very different. And they're like super healthy. They're really, really healthy. They count their macros, they eat well, but it's just because they have that added muscle. It's just their weight is not going to be reflected the same um, with the BMI. So that's something that I really like people to be mindful of too. Yeah, I, I really wish and and this this will kind of flow into my next question, because I feel like especially with men and I've said this over the season because it's, it's my first endocrinologist. So I'm like and it's my first male doctor in a very long time. Oh, and so yeah. for me, it was like, dude, I've been with I've had diabetes for almost six years now. Like I'm aware that weight is a thing as a woman on top of that. I'm pretty sure I'm more aware of my weight than you are ever. And you're like, so those kind of things are are creeping up of those traumatized moments of feeling like that's the only thing that matters. And then to go to the BMI chart and nothing else and not say, hey, let's get you on a scale and see what your body fat percentage is. Like, let's take into account your your bone mass, your muscle mass, those kind of things. I made it a, a a point when I did get a scale that it had to factor in those things because that's really important. Yeah. It's, it's really important and it's not used enough in the healthcare system. At all. And if you would have said use, lose 5% fat, I would have been like, that actually sounds more manageable than lose 40 pounds. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and that's where, where I'm like kind of hoping we can see things shift. And I would like to kind of know from your perspective, working with people, like how can we communicate with our health professionals, like we, we have a wellness mindset. We're, we're all for optimizing our bodies, but 
it's not exactly going to look like, okay, just drop the pounds because we know that not always the answer is drop the pounds. It could be something a bit deeper than that. But uh, sometimes you go into those offices and they write you off because A, they only see you for what, maybe five minutes. And then B, when you try to communicate, it's you're trying to tell me what to do with my degree. And so I'm curious, you being someone in pursuit um, uh, of a PhD, like how can we communicate respectfully and respect the knowledge that you have, but at the same time say, I kind of know what's going on at home and I I need you to know that like, it's not as bad as it actually looks like on paper sometimes. Cause I know data can Mm. almost over, overshadow some things. And I feel like that's where we're seeing a big clash on our culture now between science and, and, and holistic wellness of how can we merge the two so that we can have a really good conversation when we do step into those doctor's offices. Yes, most definitely. So when it comes to that, I think that it's really important to recognize that health professionals are people just like everybody else. And so our lived experiences really impact what we think and how we perceive other people. Most doctors are very fit in some way, shape or form. Like they're, most doctors are very fit. They do the cardio all of the four to five times a day and, and they enjoy it. They Maybe some doctors are runners, maybe some are swimmers, maybe some are just like active in a variety of forms. They know how to eat healthy. And so their perspective then becomes, oh, everybody should know how to do this. Why, why it's not really that difficult. It's not that hard. Just decide to make a change, make a change. And it's, ah, no, especially when it comes to wanting to make drastic changes. It doesn't really happen like that. And so I think that in terms of, I think a point that you're really digging at is self-advocacy and being able, the things that you had mentioned saying, hey, I know what the BMI chart says, but could we evaluate my body composition and look at what's water versus what's muscle versus what's bone versus what's actually fat? Can we look at those things? Can we look at a comprehensive blood test and chart instead of just looking at triglycerides or instead of just looking at my LDL levels or instead of just looking at my fasting blood glucose or A1C once every three months? Can we look at something else? And just saying, and really, now I'm not campaigning for Dr. Google because I know a lot of people will, they'll go way <laughs> deep in the, they'll go way deep in the, in the, um, in the, in the stores, just type in and find out any and everything that they possibly can. But I think that it's very important to figure out how to self-advocate for yourself. And I think that you were mentioning informal learning. So while you cannot trust everybody on social media, there are some really great gems of people out there for For example, somebody like me that is very well-versed and experienced in the health field, a health professional, a cancer researcher in many different areas, and I also have nutrition and health and chronic disease background and knowledge. When And that's not to say that somebody always has to have certifications or they always have to have official documentation proving that they can help you, but it is important to look at how people have acquired their knowledge. I always tell people, be leery of the people that offer weight loss and nutrition advice solely because they had a weight loss or nutrition journey. And that's not to say that you can't find inspiration from them. You can't find encouragement from them. You can't be proud of them. You can't support them. You can't engage with them. But be very careful if they don't have 
external knowledge or awareness of how to work with other people of taking their health advice as the gold standard. Because most oftentimes they're just going to tell you what worked for them. And I see this in business all the time where people are like, I grew my business to 100K in six months and I can help you do the same. And it's okay. You possibly may be able to do that, but they're more oftentimes than not going to regurgitate the same exact things that happen for them. And when it doesn't work, they have no alternative methods to utilize in order to really help you get to your health goals because they're like, huh, worked for me. I don't know why it's not working for you. This is weird. Are you sure you're trying? Are you sure you're doing what you need to be doing? And it's like, yeah, I am. Like, I'm. you told me what to do and I'm kind of sticking with it. And so I think that that's where it's important to lean on and to focus on what health professionals are saying. But I think that it's also very important to find information from reliable sources outside of physical doctor spaces or registered dietitian spaces or things of that nature, find really reliable sources, find really reliable information, and then be able to self-advocate for yourself when you go in to those appointments and say, hey, okay, yeah, you say I should lose 40 pounds, but can we look at some other measures? Can we look at some other things and be like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And if you ask for, this is something that a lot of people don't know, if you ask for a test to be done and like a a test to be done like physical wise or for you and your doctor to look into a certain health metric, they're not supposed to deny you of that. They're not supposed to say, "Mm, I don't think so. They're not supposed to say that. They're supposed to say, okay, in my professional opinion, I don't really see how this can be useful or how this can be helpful but we will go ahead and do that additional test. And that's what a lot of other countries talk negatively about the United States because we have a really high usage of x-rays, of all sorts of health technological like machines, whereas in other countries, they only use them as needed. But I think that here in the US, we have something as intricate as our health system is. If you go into a place or a space and you're like, hey, I want to get this extra LDL test. Can you go ahead and do it? I want to go ahead and figure out what my body composition really looks like in a very detailed way. Can you do it? They're not supposed to deny you of going ahead and doing those extra tests. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, you make a really valid point of of knowing. I like to think of it as in a way my medical team is my hired team. Like I, I can swap you at any point. And the goal is to have this relationship with you where you bring the professional knowledge. I bring you the, the day to day lived experience and we compare notes and, and come up with a plan. that is what is so critical. That yeah. is why I love health consulting. That's why I love being a coach. That's why I love working with people one on one. Because a lot of times, like you mentioned, like you go into the doctor's office, it's that quick exchange. They're looking at the charts, they're looking at things, they ask you a couple questions, and then boom, they're out. And that's not their fault. They have insurance things that they have to keep up with. They have other patients they have to see. It's just the way that the system is structured. But then knowing that you have other reliable, healthful resources to reach out to, I think is so critical because that really helps you address the day-to-day difficulties that you're having. As amazing as your endocrinologists may be, they literally don't have the time to sit there and analyze what you eat every single day. For dietitians, doing a 24-hour recall takes an immense amount of time, effort, and energy. You know what I'm saying? And so I think that the way that our health system is structured, the way that things are set up, a lot of it is time-based, but you really cannot depend only on one source to help transform and correct like the difficulties that you're having with health. And I think that that's 
a different perspective than what we used to have in the United States, just as a health perspective. We used to say the doctor's word is gold standard. And while they are professionals and they're very knowledgeable and they're very experienced, and as somebody that's attempting to become a doctor, have great knowledge and great experience and great ways to help and support you. They're also there, like you said, on time constraints. And Mm -hmm. so very important, again, to recognize that your health is lifelong. Your health is lifelong. And going in for those once every three months A1C tests and they share the results with you and then you're gone, that's only four times a year. There are literally 365 days in one year. So what are you doing for the other 361? I think that that's so critical for people to know and acknowledge. So, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I've, because I even told my mom this, she was feeling a bit of shame because she's like, I'm going into doctor's offices that have nothing to do with my, my, my parents are diabetics too. They have nothing to do with my diabetes and I'm getting lectured on it. And I'm like, for what? If they're not the ones managing it, mom, you need to speak up. You need to say something. And respectfully, I appreciate your concern, but I've got a team that's working on this. Can we can we stick to the appointment? I go to my doctor's appointments with a list. Here are the things that I need to talk about and address because I know we got five minutes. And you know what I mean? Like, here's all the things. Let's talk about it. Let's get through it because you have to kind of get more. I started to treat it like when I go into into work, when I when I have to go sit in front of my CEO and say, hey, here are the things I, I the first time I had to ever do a meeting in front of a CEO. One of my old jobs, my my manager, she trained me. She was like, hey, he's not going to ask you questions. Mm-mm. He's going to be like, why am I here? Yeah. So and you, you have like to kind of what's your. Yeah. You know, like, so you got to lay it out. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what they're really going to. Do you feel safe here? Outside right. of that, if it's like things that you need, you really got to advocate for them. Because similarly to the CEO example that you gave, like doctors are there to really assess diagnose and treat like literally assess diagnose treat very quickly and so it's like anything out of that realm you got to bring it up like you you really have to bring it up and and I think that that self-advocacy point that you highlight is so critical it's really critical because nobody is going to have your back like you have your back it's just nobody's going to have your back like you do when it comes to health and wellness yeah And then something else that I suggest too is, I know that this was a little bit difficult sometimes with COVID, but I always would suggest take somebody with you. Take somebody with you to the doctor or to your registered dietitian or to your appointments with somebody that's like your clinical researcher or something. Take take somebody with you because it's a second pair of eyes, ears, like they can really listen in on what's going on. And as long as you feel comfortable, it should be somebody that you feel comfortable with. But as long as they're there, they can, if you, you should talk with them before and say, hey, these are some things that I really want to talk about. If I forget, can you help me bring them up? Or because sometimes you're there and you get little intimidated and you're just like listening and you're just absorbing information. And so you don't speak up on the things that you could. But if you have somebody else who's not being checked out, who is a stakeholder because they care about you, they love you, they want to support you. But at the same time, like it's not their doctor's appointment. They're going to be like, oh, hey, didn't you want to ask about understanding your fat composition a little bit more? Didn't you want to ask about like different types of healthy foods you can eat? Didn't you want to ask about why you're not really supposed to be eating cereal? Ask about these things. And so I think that bringing somebody else with you is a really helpful way to. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a, a great point and something that a lot of people don't think about is you think that only when you're at the the almost too late part sometimes that now you need to bring somebody in or only mm-hmm. if I have a medical power of attorney that can I do this? No, yes. if, if you're saying no. you can still bring somebody with you and say I approve you them to be with me. It can be yeah. there with 
And yeah. even during COVID times, I would still encourage people like have somebody on, on Zoom or whatever their telehealth like platform is. Have somebody sit in with you because they'll bring up things that maybe are in your blinders or that you haven't been paying attention to or that you forgot or all sorts of things. So that brings me to my last two questions. We've covered a lot and I feel like there's a lot of great, great thoughts and insights here, especially because I'm, I'm really passionate about like working with your medical team because it is intimidating and, yeah. and being able to, to advocate for yourself and have that discussion and, and kind of break through those barriers of, again, when you're first told something and your mind just shoots out all of these things that you've been culturally programmed to think of, this is the end all be all. It's, no. You got to dig a little bit deeper. You got to go a little bit further and and kind of pull things out. But I would love to know, like, what advice would you give to somebody who's either newly diagnosed in the diabetic space, any chronic condition, or, or if they're just trying to start their wellness journey in general to make it that lifelong commitment? What would be something that you would tell them? Figure out what you like and what you're interested in and what you need and find your community for support. I think that that's so important because whenever you have a new diagnosis, is it can be really overwhelming, really overwhelming. Whenever you decide, oh, I want to make a change as it pertains to my like weight or as it pertains to my fitness or as it relates to just my overall lifelong journey, you got to find a community of support. You got to find, or and even if it's not a huge community, you got to find an accountability buddy. You got to find a friend. You got to find a coach. You got to find somebody that you can really count on and depend on to be there to help and support you. And I, the reason why I highlight first, figure out what you like, what you need and what you want, because if you join the community first, People are going, or if you find the coach first, or if you find the professional first, somebody is, people are going to push on to you what they think. And yeah. you always be your first number one advocate. And so it takes some time. Like I said, it might be really difficult to have that first diagnosis. And you just may need to cope for a little while. You just may need to sit and dwell with, wow, this is my new reality. And tell yourself that Rome wasn't built in a day. Like you don't have to make all sorts of drastic changes. You just need to try. Like yeah. not trying is the worst thing that you can possibly do. It's the worst thing that you can possibly do, but figure out what it is that you like, what you want, what you need and find a community to help you support that. For example, so my business is called The Posh Veg, right? And even though I am a vegetarian, I love plant-based eating. I am never going to try and persuade somebody to become a vegetarian. That mm-hmm. is my life choice. That is something that I have decided to do that, something that I enjoy. And I use my platform to share plant-based recipes, but also other recipes with people as well. But I, I never want for somebody to be like, oh, I'm trying to lose weight. Oh, I, this is something I hear quite often. And they're like, oh, I'm trying to lose weight. So I'm just going to be vegan. And I'm like, what? We, we jumped. We really jumped in a lot of ways here. We, we jumped in a lot of ways. So I always tell people, figure out what it is that you want, that you like for you. And Find a community or a support base. And more importantly, instead of a community, it's the support base that's really important. And if you are only working with one person or you only do have one accountability buddy, have somebody else on the exterior that knows that you're working with them because they can help provide you a little clarity. I've heard some pretty horrific stories of people that are like working with somebody and or just have an accountability buddy. And so they're like, okay, girl, we're going to stick with the same plan. And so all of a sudden they're like doing a juice cleanse for an entire week because they think that that's what they're supposed to be doing. And their husbands or their brothers, their partners are noticing that they're like on the face out literally about to faint and they're like why are you near fainting and they're like oh me and sarah we're just doing a juice cleanse and it's like, whoa 
you and Sarah are doing a juice cleanse. What have you eaten all week? And so it's like wild juice cleanses are not bad. And when you do them in the right setting and things like that, they can be good. But, you know, I think the issue comes when you just try to do a lot of things willy nilly and because you've seen them work for other people, but you don't know what it is that you want or need for yourself. So that was the first thing. Newly diagnosed with diabetes, newly diagnosed with any sort of chronic disease, realizing or condition, realizing that you want to make a physical change. Do not seek out the help first. Don't seek out the help first. Decide what it is that you like, that you want for yourself. What are your non-negotiables? For example, if somebody knows I just couldn't give up meat, that's just one thing that I I have to have. Can't give up meat. That's something that I got to continue to eat. So know your non-negotiables. Know that I just can't eat kale. I don't know what it is. I just can't eat it. Won't eat it. Can't do it. Know your boundaries. There's literally hundreds and thousands of other green vegetables out there, I promise that your health journey will not only solely depend on you eating kale. It's like figure out what it is that your non-negotiables are and then find either a support base or somebody to help you through that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, with that being said, where can people find you if they want to check out your your PAR program or be able to work with you one-on-one? How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, on pretty much any social platform, Instagram, Facebook, I'm new to TikTok, you can find me at The Posh Veg. So T-H-E-P-O-S-H-V-E-G. And so you can find me there. Also my website, www.theposhveg.com. There you have really, really helpful information about really knowing more about me, about my experience, about who I am, what I do, my mission for the Posh Veg, my like goals and desires for other people and really how I'm navigating the health space and health field. If people are interested in my PAR program, which helps with um, weight loss and doing it in a really easy, simplistic, um, straightforward way where you can see results pretty much right away. It's $30 and you can go and access it on my website, theposhveg.com. And then also I have tons of free resources. This is what I always tell people. Take and use my free resources. I have a free 101 health hacks guide, which basically gives you 101 ways to improve your healthy eating and lifestyle journey today. You don't have to wait. These are real tangible ways. Now, if you are a type 2 diabetic, for example, and maybe wiser for you to take certain things when it comes to the eating recommendations with a grain of salt, if you know that you're supposed to be watching your sugar or your carb or your glucose intake and things like that. But overwhelmingly, most people can use at least 80 of the facts that are in that guide. And it's 100% free on my website. And you can also look on my social platforms and find like the links in my bio too. And then if you're somebody where this, this podcast really touched you, you'd really like some support to reach those health goals, you can set up a free call with me um, where we'll really look at where you are now, envision where you'd like to be for the future, and decide if working with me is something that you'd like to do for the future. I'm here to help. And uh, hopefully, as you can see, I'm pretty approachable. Um, I'm open. I'm honest and very excited to really help as many people as I possibly can live a health and wellness life and journey. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Alicia. I'm really excited to see where you go from here and uh, keep me in touch whenever you finally uh, get that nice big PhD diploma. I'm excited for you. Um, Yeah. And so you guys heard it here first. Be sure to check out thepodgepedge.com for all of those great resources. Definitely seek her out. Once you figured out what you want, know what your non-negotiables are, you can get some support from her and I'm sure she'd be happy to help. You guys already know every Tuesday you can find me and every Thursday you can find me and a friend. Until then, we'll catch you guys next time. 
I hope you enjoyed that. A lot of great information and things to think about within that conversation. I want to thank Alicia so much for her time, her energy, and her wisdom, and for sharing all that she could in regards to weight loss, wellness, and living with a chronic condition such as diabetes. Be sure to check out the show notes and check out all the things that she's offering, including her $30 course. And yeah, of course, you already know every Tuesday and Thursday, you'll catch myself or myself and a friend, and I'll catch you guys next week. Bye.